Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have back Greg Will, the principal of Armstrong Dawson, to talk to us all about this very interesting topic of tax considerations in a sale. I think this is a super interesting topic. We talk about a lot of really useful things to be aware of. We talk about what we should be thinking about from an account perspective, we talk about some common mistakes, and we talk about what this can cost. Now, Greg is no newbie to this area. He's got really significant accounting experience, not just leading his own practice, but also within his history of being partner within first and second tier professional service firms. He really, I think, gives us some rounded advice in this discussion today. I found it a really useful topic to focus on because because it's something that I see creep up again and again and again in matters that land on our desk. So if you are involved with businesses at the point of sale or leading into sale, or indeed you are a business yourself who is thinking of selling into the future at some stage, this is really important listening. This is one you can't miss. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, Greg. Welcome back. Hi, Joanna. Thanks very much. Excellent. Okay. Look, and today we are talking all about this area of business structuring for exit and tips and tricks in this area. And I'm super excited to have this discussion because this is inevitably one of the areas when clients are referred into us um, at the point of transaction where I find is often the most glaring gaps. We're not accountants, but we are obviously... That's why we've got you on board, Greg, as the accountant. <laughs> so, some some sensible advice in this area. But it's one of those things where w- when I see businesses come in and they haven't had the proper discussions and the proper preparation in the background, it really leads to terrible outcomes for them that really often they don't realise until the transaction is all done and dusted and they're doing their taxes. So let's talk about what some of the issues are here from an accounting perspective, Greg. What do you see? What issues do you see in this area? So firstly, with clients coming to any accounting practice, but I can only talk to ours in particular, that they they tend to fall in two buckets. Where they are, and obviously this is depending on whether they're the buyer or the seller, the buyer's usually a little bit more planned and, and strategic in terms of what they've wanted to do because they obviously are looking for something and something just doesn't fall into their lap. But typically with the seller, which obviously is where the majority of the tax problems can fall into, they fall into one of two buckets. One is either it's been well opportunistic, someone's approached them with a price or they, because of personal circumstances, they have to get out or something's happened where they've just been in the right place at the right time. But where I'm getting at with these clients is that they haven't really prepared in terms of the sale process. And so there's a number of things that we look at, which I'll get into later on in this discussion about 
what they should have done in order to prep their business for sale. We've then got the other side, which tends to do the textbook way, if I can use that language, that they do prepare their business for sale in terms of grooming the, the business and getting things in order. But also there's some things that they have to be prepared for in terms of when when some due diligence is done or when the, when the buyer is looking at their business to make sure again that, that they get the correct net tax outcome when they're looking to sell their business. Okay, great. All right. So, but before we launch into those two areas and and what to do from that prep side and what they should be looking out for. Have you seen, are there common mistakes that you think businesses are making leading into sale? Yeah, look, it it comes down to that. It's like if you've ever sold a car, you want to make sure that you've washed the car, detailed it, polished the tyres, done a service, everything's in place so that the car is in its best condition, prepared for sale and that anything that you putting your hat on as if even though you're selling if you put your hat on as though you were the buyer and thinking if I was buying my own business what would be some of the concerns that I would have those are the things that you should be looking to either shore up or have at least an explanation for because nine times out of ten those are the same things that a new buyer is going to be looking at so looking at things that you're a little bit circumspect about and making sure that those things are very much catered for. And whether that's on the legal side, the accounting and tax side, client side, commercial side, all of those things, what they, what the buyer is looking for at the end of the day is certainty. So the more certain the buyer can be around the numbers and the financial performance and, and in particular, the financial future of the business, the higher strategic value you will get for your business. Mm. And so if we're looking then also at those at the tax consequences of sale, one of the issues that I see quite regularly is businesses that might qualify for small business concessions might be, let's say, for example, structured as a company. They're not even thinking to say to the advisor or the broker at the time, we really need to try and pitch this as a share sale rather than a business sale. So I guess maybe if we can look at some of those, and obviously um, we we have a different approach as depending on which concessions might be available to the particular business. And maybe maybe it's worthwhile just starting back there. You know, when what types of concessions are available um, to what different size businesses? Yeah. So typically, in terms of a sale of a business, you're spot on that the main consideration an accountant would have is whether the client would fit into what's called the small business concessions. And I can go through what those concessions are or whether they fall outside of those concessions. And to your point that most clients, and I'm not talking advisors here, but most clients, when you ask the question, are you selling the shares in the company or the business within it, they do not understand that concept that there could be two different sales. And for an advisor, though, they have two extremely different outcomes. And so nine times out of 10, in order, if, and I'm assuming here that the business is trading through a company, that nine times out of 10, that the, the seller would rather sell the shares in the company in order not to get the what's called the small business concessions, whereas the buyer for um, legal risk and a whole lot of other reasons would rather buy the business within the company. And so there are issues then around 
how the, the seller will get the money out of the company in the most tax-effective way. And sorry, just coming back to that, I, I just want to highlight this point because we have a lot of brokers and corporate advisors listening in who quite often they'll look at a business sale matter that a client is bringing to them. The client talks about business sale, they talk about business sale. That ends up being what goes to market, but they don't realise, and of course the clients aren't realising, that there is such a crucial step here in really understanding the way the business goes to market, i.e. as in selling the company itself, i.e. the shares, or the business. So I just wanted to reiterate that. And as we as we're talking through these issues, I think, you know, many brokers and advisors I speak to are a little bit hesitant. You know, they they prefer to hit the market with a business sale rather than a share sale in many instances because of a buyer's perspective or a perceived buyer's perspective on buying the risk in inverted commas that comes uh, with a company. But I think that if some of these considerations are understood early enough and when they go to market, you're going to market in the right way. If, if it needs to be a share sale, then you're going to market as a share sale, not trying to have this conversation later in, down the track when it obviously becomes a lot more difficult to change a transaction. Then there's many good reasons for a buyer to accept a share purchase rather than a business sale purchase anyway. But the point is that it's really important to catch this before the business goes to market or the company goes to market. Because once you're talking about a business sale and you have buyers on the hook who are looking in a particular way, it can become extremely difficult to later down the track then change it so that the buyer will accept it to be a share sale. So I, I just want to point that out. So Having said that, how about you talk to us about what those small business concessions are, Greg? Yeah, so the small business concessions kick in at the moment, and obviously, depending on the timing of this call, the laws are changing all the time. But as of today, in order to achieve or get into the small business concessions, either the the net value of your business needs to be less than $6 million or your business turnover is less than two million. So if your business turn, turns over less than two million, or if its value is less than six million, you will fit into what's called the small business concessions. And in essence, the small business concessions at the moment, if you sold a business and you own that business, presumably for more than 12 months, you would get a, an initial 50% discount on the capital gain you made for owning it more than 12 months. You would then get, if you fell into these small business concessions, a further 50% discount because you would qualify as a small business. And then from there, there's a, a, there's a couple of other concessions about whether you put the money into super or if you've owned the business for more than 15 years or if you're looking to buy a replacement business, which I won't get into all of the tax nitty gritty and all of that stuff, but you can get some further concessions in terms of how the, the, the net capital gain is taxed. So most businesses that fall into those small business concessions want to obviously look to adopt them because of the great tax outcome. But to your point, Joanna, particularly if they're selling the business and not the shares within the company, it can actually knock out almost all of those small business concessions, i.e. you will not be able to apply them because you're selling the wrong thing, in essence. Let's like put some dollars behind this because I find when clients come in and I have a look at something and 
I say, okay, well, this is an issue. We need to go back to your accountant and have them run through the cash flow of the sale proceeds. Just how much will end up in your pocket? How much you'll pay in tax? With looking at the two different options, they are absolutely blown away at the actual difference at the end of the day it can make in money in their pocket. So maybe if you can throw us, can, can you think of any examples that you've seen or throw us some dollar figures here, Greg? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you the two rates and then some dollar figures. So if we couldn't fall into the business concessions at all, so say, for example, that we sold the business for a million dollars, and I know I just said if it's less than six, you fall into them, but let's assume that you don't for this argument. Well, let's Let's say the business is worth $10 million. That might be easier. So if, so if you didn't have small business concessions and you own that business for 12 months, obviously you would get a 50% discount on that $10 million gain. So you now you'd be paying tax on $5 million. And assuming you're on the top marginal rate, and let's just assume that's at 50% for this argument, you'd be paying tax at um, $2.5 million on that $10 million. So you get $7.5 million in your hand and you'd be paying tax at two and a half million. Assuming, and again, I know I use the um, threshold of six million, but just for comparison, so we can um, look at the same numbers. If you actually sold um, that business for 10 million and it fell within the small business concessions, if it was structured correctly, you could pay, and I'll stress this, zero tax. Mm. So you get the full 10 million in your hand, i.e. you're saving yourself two and a half million in that example, by using the small business concessions. And again, I just stress if there's accounts out there, I know I've used numbers that may not fall within the concessions, but I've just done it just, just for comparison. Purpose. Comparison. And, and if we're talking business sale versus share sale, so let's take our million dollar, let's talk about a million dollar business here. So a million dollar business in a share sale versus a business sale environment. And of course, we know, I, I guess there, there are lots of potential concessions that could apply the business sale environment, even with a company, I guess, like the uh, there's 15-year rules and all sorts of things, right? But let's just talk about a business, I don't know, that's been around for, say, let's say five years, right? And we're talking about a share sale versus a business sale. We're talking about $1 million with no cost base. So what, generally speaking, our difference between our share sale and our business sale? Yeah. So the difference between, in that example, the million dollars would roughly be if you sold the shares, you could pay zero tax. So get the full million dollars into your hand. If you sold the business within the company, you'd probably be looking at a 50% tax rate. So half a million dollars. So you're looking at, you know, virtually either getting all the money or half the money in your hands, subject to how you've structured the sale. And bam, like this isn't this and this is <laughs> this is the discussions that floor my clients when they're coming in. I'm just like, seriously, I, I can't believe that so many people go into a sale environment without having understood that. You know, it's just so, so critical. Okay. Yeah. And just going to say, and this is where, I mean, most advisors know this, but in essence, there's a complete, I guess, opposite view in that whatever is good for the seller is typically bad for the buyer. Whatever's good for the buyer is bad for the seller. But in saying that, a good advisor would know that in terms of managing the risk, that also when you're looking to um, sell the business for a seller, you've always got to look at what the net proceeds will actually arrive in their hands, given those tax outcomes we just discussed. Because 
while someone might be very much focused on what the headline figure is, i.e. a million dollars or $10 million, given those tax differences that we've just worked out, it really comes down to what you actually get in your hand. So you'd rather, in argument's sake, with that million dollar example, if you um, sold the business for a million dollars, but at the end of the day only got half a million dollars in your hands, you'd actually rather sell the business at the end of the day for half a million and get all that in your hands because you still have the same outcome. You're still getting half a million dollars in your hands. And that's what you've also got to look at, depending on whether you're on the buyer or the seller side, when you're negotiating some of these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point because, of course, here, you're right, the eye is just on that top-level figure, the, the sale price, not the net proceeds, as you say. And, you you know, this rather than pushing our buyers to this $1 million in a business sale environment, maybe we say, okay, well, let's, you, you know, let's give it to them for 800 but if we're doing it as a share sale, we're ahead. <laughs> Still, Correct. then, exactly you know, right. if we're at one million for a business sale, so absolutely critical to understand this stuff. I think it's critical, you know, we have a lot of accountants that listen in. I think it's critical for accountants to have discussions with their clients to understand if they're open to a potential sale environment if someone was to come knocking on the door. Because sometimes what happens is I just feel that there's a disconnect between advisors and clients. And for some reason, and I don't really understand why accountants aren't always fully involved by their clients leading into a sale, but there's so many instances where they aren't. So there's clearly a disconnect somewhere there. And and I think Part of that needs to be communication from accountants through to their clients so that their clients are aware if they're looking at sale, they really need to come and talk about this stuff before they're having their discussions with the brokers or the advisors. Yeah, look, and to your point, I guess one of the complications or competing priorities is that even though, to your point, under a a textbook approach, you would typically look to sell the shares rather than the business. I'm talking here for the seller. One of the things that most buyers push for or argue for is what's called a cash-free, debt-free sale. So i.e. they're not taking the cash you've got in your bank account or the the loans or the debt you've got in your in your business. So usually those debts or loans are attached to the company. And obviously, that's one of the reasons why it's typically easier to sell the business because you then you don't have to really worry about those loans. They're, they're either quarantined or fixed up by the seller, and it's a lot cleaner to just get the business out. But as I mentioned, there's a, there's a tax cost in order to do that. So in terms of what you were just talking about, Joanna, in terms of planning for the sale, outside of anything, it's around, okay, if you were buying this business, and it's going to be cash-free, debt-free, which is typically the case, we've got to make sure that how are we going to get rid of these loans or how are we going to make sure that if they they do buy the shares that they're not obviously buying the loans that are attached to it because that's what you'd do if you just bought the shares. You'd be buying that debt that sits within the company as well. And of course, you know, I think it's quite often accountant who I see pushing back 
uh, for on their client's behalf on the buy side against the purchase of shares rather than business. But, you know, my answer to this uh, always is, you know, number one, there's a negotiation point on price to get everyone into a happy position. But we also have our warranties and our indemnities to rely on, you know, to the extent that we can secure those. So, yeah, I I think it's short-sighted in many instances for advisors acting on behalf of buyers to have this complete blanket approach to disliking the share purchase. And, And in fact, from a transition perspective, personally, it's seen a lot less issues with the possible loss of client bases and all of those sorts of things that can happen with the transfer in a business sale environment versus a share sale environment, which becomes a more seamless transaction from the client supplier perspective. Yeah, I guess you could probably talk to it better than I could, Jono, just around the legal risks or obligations around taking on someone else's company. But Typically, you are right that an advisor's default position, even if they, without even looking at the situation, would just argue, no, we're not buying the company, we're buying the business. But the company may, to your point, not only be very, very clean and actually easier to take on board, given all the ABN and all of the things you have to change if you went into a new vehicle, but sometimes it's not just taking the default position, it's actually getting a sense of why there may be a risk there. And then obviously, if there is, to your point, that can be used as a as a negotiation tool as part of the process. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, where we end up in this true win-win position, because the buyer may have gotten a better deal in terms of, you know, top line price, and the seller has gotten a better deal because they end up with more net proceeds in their pocket. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for it. And one other point that I just wanted to sort of touch on in this small business concession environment is is some of the issues in the way business are structured into sales. Say, for example, by the use of different types of share class or structures that can create issues with the use of concessions. Maybe could you talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, that's probably the classic one that people don't understand. So I guess speak about it very simply without going into sections and technical talk. Basically is that if you have two shareholders in a business, they must have the same class of shares. So uh, if you've got two shareholders that are both ordinary shares holders, then small business concessions can apply. If you have one holding an A-class share and one holding a B-class share, basically it knocks them out from allowing to get the small business concession. So we get a lot of small businesses coming to us that have structured with different share classes to be able to either stream dividends or because there's different rights or responsibilities to those share classes and then want to at the 11th hour start changing share classes around, which you can't do because obviously there's a, a tax-motivated reason to do that and basically knocks them out of the concessions. And as we discussed earlier in the call, there's a significant price difference in terms of outcomes by having that wrong structure. So it, there is a legitimate way to change share classes, but again, you're changing it for a, for a particular reason, not two minutes before you do a sale to try to manipulate the tax outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and once again, this is one of the things that I think it's really important with the advisor hat on to be aware of and to make sure your clients are aware of if you think there's any possibility they could be heading into a sale at any point. And of course, we, we never really know when our clients might 
be on the radar for a potential sale because even if they don't have that intention, you know, there's always these sorts of environments where um, where there's the possibility of them just receiving a, an offer or, or their circumstances changing very, very quickly, which suddenly moves them from an environment where they weren't even contemplating a sale to suddenly the sale's upon them. Correct. All right. So we've talked about the small business concessions. Maybe can we just talk about, you know, how does it change if you're a business that doesn't fit into those concessions? If you're in that space, you you don't qualify for the concessions. Should you just not worry at all about considering business sale, share sale, or considering structure into sale? Or are there still considerations at at that point? Look, there still are considerations because given the conversation we just had, there are still issues around um, or making sure there are no issues around buying the existing company versus the business. So obviously there's more, I guess, to your point, if, if I can paraphrase it very quickly, is that when a business is of, of significant value, there's not as much tax consideration you need to have because the outcomes can be similar, but there still is the legal and the commercial outcomes that you still very much need to consider. So the tax point then isn't the main driver once you get around the small business concessions. It's more around the legal and commercial drivers. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, look, are there any sort of elements or warnings that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Greg, on this topic before we wrap it up? Yeah, I guess a point we didn't cover, which you mentioned at the start around some advisors structuring their clients in trust structures like unit trust, discretionary trust, etc. We don't see that much in terms of, I guess, what I'll call sophisticated clients that a lot of advisors set their clients up in those structures in order to try to be able to move income around to different beneficiaries and get a different tax outcome in terms of the day-to-day business. And it does also facilitate when you do have a sale, it doesn't then bring into play the difference between selling the company or selling the business because of the way a trust works. But to your point, what we find is that the difficulty in doing business, i.e. just setting up things like bank accounts, dealing with clients, um, the government in terms of ATO and and other government bodies, it's just a real difficult way to do business by trading through a trust. You also have to distribute out every year all of the profits. So we also find from a tax perspective that in order to retain some money or working capital in the trust, the beneficiaries then have to loan most or all of the money back, which you don't have to do in a company because it can retain profits. And it just creates a very, very difficult way of doing business that, to be honest, probably almost doubles the cost of doing business from an advisor and fee point of view than if you were just trading through a normal company. Gosh, I'm so glad you brought this topic up because it's something I think we were discussing before the call that I'm really quite interested in. It's a question that comes to us so often, you know, because accountants might be suggesting one type of structure and, you know, our clients just really want to understand the commercial implications and get another another viewpoint on you know, the, the best way to go forward. And what I think we should do, Greg, is we have a sister podcast called Talk 
talking law. So for all of our listeners out there, if you're interested in hearing about this topic, I think Craig and I might even do a whole podcast episode just talking about this topic. So now if you would like to contact Greg. Greg, maybe can you give our listeners your details so that they can get in contact with you if perhaps you're a broker or an advisor that is dealing with a client that is leading into sale and you want to make sure they're getting the best net proceeds out of that sale. Greg, how can they contact you? So there'd be two ways. You can either call me direct on my number. It's a Sydney number. So 02829853308 or just send me an email at gwill at armstrongdawson.com.au and more than happy to have a chat and provide you a few pointers. Fabulous, Greg. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I hope that this episode is widely listened to. I know um, accounting issues aren't always viewed as exciting for everyone, but they're just such fundamental issues here. And as I said, as we were talking during the episode, clients that I deal with are just so often just so blown away by the end result of the differences in these approaches. I just think it's super important for people to be aware of these issues really early. Well, that's it for our episode today of the Deal Room Podcast. Obviously, in this episode, we talked all about tax and the sorts of things that businesses approaching sale or into sale should be thinking about, some common mistakes, the costs of those mistakes, and of course, a bit of a hearty discussion about business sale and share sale. Well, I hope you enjoyed the content. I certainly enjoyed chatting to Greg and bringing it all to you. If you'd like more information about the topic, then just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to get those links straight through to Greg if you'd like to talk to him. Or you'll also be able to find details there of how to contact our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you have any clients or indeed you yourself are leading into a sale or acquisition. And look, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then I would be extremely grateful if you could pop over to your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. And of course, if you're not a subscriber yet, then hit subscribe as well so that we deliver our episodes weekly straight to your phone. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 